Thanks for listening to Summit PA Sermon Audio, weekly teaching from the Summit Church in Indiana, Pennsylvania. SummitPA.church, every life made different. Good morning, good morning, good morning. All right, we're going to do something right off the bat because, as you have heard, I'm from South Carolina. So I'm going to just hand you this beautiful gift, this beautiful tool. It's not only the Bible, it's the word, y'all. I'm going to say it a few times during the morning, and you're not going to laugh or giggle or, like, look at your husband. You're going to be like, y'all, y'all. It's going to settle nice in your stomach, okay? Y'all. Say it with me. Y'all. Bless your hearts. That was good. Let's try one more time. Y'all. Y'all, it's easy, it's nice, it's quick, it's sweet, it's good. Thank you for coming with me on this journey. Now, let's talk. On Friday night, we were together for Summit She Is, and Pastor Kim said, it's so good to be here with y'all. You didn't say y'all, did you? She did. She might have. She said, it's so good to be here. And I'm telling you the same thing. It's so good to be here. And and on Friday, she got a little more vulnerable and she said, you know, I just didn't know if we'd be here again. I just didn't know if we'd be here again. And, and I feel that same sentiment when I think about May 2021 and I think about where we were in May 2020. I don't know about y'all, but I didn't know if we'd be here again. I didn't know what it would look like for the people of God to begin gathering again corporately, when that would happen or how that would happen. And I'm so grateful that we're here. I'm so grateful that we get to do this thing where we come together and worship God and let our minds be changed by his word. And I, I if I'm honest, I want to tell you guys a little bit about where I was at May 2020. For me, um, the, the, the newness and the novelty of the pandemic and the shutdowns had worn off. And, and maybe in March, I was like, okay, this is good. We're going to have some more family time. Um, and in April, I was like, all right, we're going to spend some time outdoors. We're going to just reconnect as a family and slow down our pace. And in May, I was like, somebody, somebody better come get these kids. I have four kids, y'all. I have four. Three of them are in middle school. Three are in middle school. I have an eighth grader, a seventh grader, and a sixth grader. And y'all, they're great. They're beautiful, but they're loud. And they're a little smelly sometimes. And it's a lot. There's just a lot of humans in my house. And I was like, I love teachers, all teachers. You get a three times raise in my book. Like if I was in charge, it would, I'd just be making it rain. I was like, where are the, where are the teachers? Why are we here? What's happening? When are we leaving the house again? And I live about 0.3 miles from my church building. We live in, a, in the same neighborhood as our church building. And so I would do this thing where I would walk to the church and I would walk just circles around our building. Truly, because I'm an emotional gal, I'd just be crying. I'd just be praying and I'd be like, God, when do we get to be back with the people of God? When will we worship again? When will we be in the same room and go after God again? And for us in South Carolina, we, we started gathering a little bit later than y'all did. We actually didn't get to go back into our building until October. And so it would be quite a while for us, but that, that wilderness season was heavy. 
And as month after month ticked on and as things in our culture and things in our individual towns and states got more tense and more heavy, we all seemed to go through this together. So what's so interesting is that we all might resonate with having wilderness season seasons in our lives. Everybody can kind of, once you hit adulthood, probably pinpoint a time, a few years in your life where you experienced heaviness or barrenness or sadness or discouragement. Maybe God felt far or people felt far. But what's so interesting about 2020 and even us coming out of it into 2021 is that we all went through this together. Collectively, we watched the days pass and we heard about people dying and we saw fights break out on our Facebook pages. Hopefully none of us started them, but we watched this heaviness fall over our land and we all lived through it together. And we're, and we're absolutely, I believe, experiencing some stepping back out of that, stepping out of the wilderness. And so today I want to talk about worshiping our way out of the wilderness and what we can learn from God about worshiping our way out of the wilderness. But I'm going to pause there in that heavy moment and I'm going to switch, do a big left turn to a lighter one. Can you come with me? All right, pivot. Here's what I need to talk to you about. self paced astronomy. Self-paced astronomy. Definitely a lot of blank stares. That's okay. It's not an Italian dish. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying the word self-paced astronomy. So here's the deal. In the early 2000s, I was going to college and I was going to a university that my sister had already gone to a few years prior. And so my freshman year in college, I went to my older sister, Katie, and I said, hey, what do I need to know about college? What do I need to know about this school in particular? What should I do? What classes should I take? What cafeteria should I go to? What club should I join? And she said, listen, you're going to find your own way. You're going to do what's good for you. She said, here's the only thing I have to tell you. Do not take self-paced astronomy. And I was like, that is so random. Okay, I won't take self-paced astronomy. I had no interest in the stars, anything like that. So I was like, I'm not going to be studying astronomy. And she said, okay, just listen to me. Don't take, don't do it. Don't take self-paced astronomy. And I was like, okay, great. Never brought it up again. What happened is I got into the dorm and I was there the first few weeks. And I heard some rumors start circulating about self paced astronomy. And here's what happened. This is a true story. And there was a massive glitch in my university system. And you could take two semesters of self-paced astronomy and opt out of all math and science for your entire college career and still get a degree. There was a huge glitch in the system. This is a true story. So people, students had figured this out. If you took two semesters of self-paced astronomy, not a single math class, not a single science class, and you could graduate with a degree. Let me tell you guys some things I know about. I know a lot about pop culture. I care about pop culture. You could ask me almost anything about reality TV and I might be able to answer. And I'm only a little bit ashamed about that. I know a lot about the Bible. I'm really into the Bible. I love talking about the Bible. Ask me something about Romans 8. I'll write you a dissertation on it. I know a good bit about bagels and coffee because I like both of those things. Here's what I don't know anything about. Math or science. Nothing. 
barely passed high school. That's my story because I don't like math and or science. And I'm even more convinced after having four kids homeschooled during a pandemic that I don't know anything about math or science. When my kids would say like, can you please help with this long division? I would say, can you please pull up Google right now? to help both of us. I watched so many YouTube videos on long division. They have those. I don't love math and science. So sure enough, as people were telling me, you can just take self-paced astronomy. I was like, I'm in. I signed up. I totally disobeyed what my sister said. And here's the deal with self-paced astronomy. Is that to pass the class, you had to go into the astronomy lab and sit in front of this ginormous computer because it was the early 2000s, and you had to take 50 different quizzes, and the quizzes only had 10 questions each, and you had to pass 50 quizzes to get an A in the class, and again, it was self-paced, you could take them at your own pace, you could come every day and take one, you could take two a day. You could do whatever you wanted to do. And to, to learn how to pass the quiz, you didn't really study. You just took the quiz and figured out what the right answers were and what the wrong answers were. So you would fail it a bunch of times until you got it right. So it should have been a very easy class to take and therefore bypass all math and science. But it was self-paced. So the problem is, the reason why my sister told me not to take it is because the semester started in September and I forgot that I was in self-paced astronomy until November 30th. November 30th, and the semester ended on December 5th. So I had six days to take 50 tests locked in the astronomy lab. So I did that. Somewhere along the way, I realized that I could quit at 30 and get a C in the class, and so I actually did that. I didn't take all 50. I took 30, but I hated my life for about six days. I was just calling people like, please bring coffee. Just pray for me. I'm on test number 12. I don't really know what a star is anymore. Just help me. Just pray for me. Bring me coffee, and I'll make it through. It was a horrible decision. I should have taken her advice. Why am I telling you about self-paced astronomy? What in the world does this have to do with worshiping our way out of the wilderness. Here, here's the deal. This is what we do as humans. Someone says like, here's a good path to take. Don't take this scary path. And we're like, that's cool. I'm just going to take the scary one, right? Or someone will say like, here's, here's an idea for you. If you live this way, if you try this path, you, you might experience a little bit more ease or joy or freedom. And we're like, that's, that's beautiful. But like, I'm going to go this way instead. This is what we do as humans. We learn the hard way. We often have to experience something heavy for ourselves to make any kind of shift or change in our lives. And this is the story of the Israelites, God's people in the Old Testament. This is what happened to them over and over and over again. Now, they were in an actual wilderness. So let's do a really quick reminder about their story. God had chosen a people of his own possession, a, a special people that he wanted to carry his name and carry his story. These were the Israelites. And they found themselves enslaved by the Egyptians because they were so numerous. They were a threat to the Egyptians. And so they were living in bondage and heaviness and injustice. God appointed Moses, a leader, to help usher them out of slavery into the promised land that God had prepared for them. So God wanted to take them out of Egypt and take them to Canaan, and he called Moses to lead them. Beautiful story, but here's where it goes wrong. They leave Egypt, and it's supposed to be an 11-day walk 
from Egypt to Canaan. And instead, this journey ends up taking them 40 years because people learn the hard way. So instead of making the direct trip and it taking 11 days, they spend 40 years in the wilderness complaining, bickering, not worshiping well, fighting with Moses, and essentially really, really struggling. How they worshiped in the wilderness and as they came out of it massively impacted what happened in their life and how they experienced God. And I believe in the name of Jesus, the same is true for us. And that's why I want to talk about it today. So first I want to read from Exodus 32, and I'll tell you where we're at at this point in the story. Exodus 32, they are out of Egypt. They've been taken out of Egypt. They are in the desert. God is providing for them miraculously. He's making bread fall from heaven called manna every morning. And he's also providing quail in the afternoon so that they'll have meat to eat. He's bringing water from rocks. He's doing incredible signs and wonders. He's saving them. He's rescued them out of darkness. But Moses, their leader, has gone up on Mount Sinai to get the Ten Commandments. And so that's where we pick up in their story. Exodus 32. When the people saw that Moses was so long in coming down from the mountain, they gathered around Aaron and said, Come, make us gods who will go before us. As for this fellow Moses who brought us up out of Egypt, we don't know what happened to him. I just want to tell you, for any of my friends in the room who think the Bible isn't interesting, this is the Israelites throwing shade at Moses. It's very interesting. As for this fellow Moses who brought us up out of Egypt, we don't know what happened to him. That's what they're saying. Back to verse 2, Aaron answered them, take off the gold earrings that your wives, your sons, and your daughters are wearing and bring them to me. So all the people took off their earrings and brought them to Aaron. He took what they had handed him and made it into an idol cast in the shape of a calf, fashioning it with a tool. Then they said, these are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of Egypt. Now this should sound a little bit wild. This should sound a little bit crazy. This should sound as wild as it is if I got up on stage this morning and said, good morning, everyone. Welcome to Summit. Everyone hand me your earrings. We're going to be making a statue that we're all going to bow down to. Like that should sound crazy. I know God's done a lot in your life. I know he saved you and rescued you. I know he's brought you those kids and he's taken care of you such far, but go ahead, hand me your belt buckles too. Amen. Amen. It's a great day to be in the house of the Lord. That's weird. That's strange. That should make us pause, right? Right? The Bible's crazy. It's beautiful. I love it. I can't get enough of it. I'm going to flip now to Joshua 24. And if you don't mind, will you look at my Bible as I'm holding it? This is Exodus 32. This is Joshua 24. I'm flipping all the way to when the Israelites have just come out of the wilderness and are now in the promised land. This is 40 years of pain, bickering, whining, and bad worship that we're going to kind of skip through to see what happens at the end. Joshua 24. Joshua is Moses's successor. He's the one who came after Moses to lead the people into the promised land. And what we see is right before Joshua dies, the people are now in Canaan. They're in the land that God gave them. They're out of the wilderness. Joshua 24, starting at verse 23. 
Now then, said Joshua, throw away the foreign gods that are among you and yield your hearts to the Lord, the God of Israel. So they're out of the wilderness and they're still doing this thing where they worship idols and foreign gods. They have not learned yet. They did it a whole bunch in these pages too. Here's the first thing that we can learn from the Israelites as we worship our way out of the wilderness. We've got to drive out our idols as we leave the wilderness. We've got to drive out our idols as we leave the wilderness. I want to say off the bat right here that when we talk about idols and like breaking idols and casting them aside, that can, that can sound very like serious and religious and like big serious stuff. Anybody feel that a little bit? But this is human. This is what we do. We desire other things. We run after other things. We worship other things. And I believe that we need to do two things when we talk about idols. Number one, I believe we need to normalize that it is a, it's a human situation of our hearts to worship other things. That, that we want to we get excited. We want to be enthusiastic. We want to give our money to other things. We, we just naturally are people who worship And so when we get tired of waiting for God or when we don't see him move, this is what we do. We turn our affection and turn our attention and turn our praise to idols. Sometimes they're actual things. Sometimes they're ideas. Sometimes they're cultural expectations. So number one, I think we need to normalize it and not let it sound so serious and religious. Another thing that I think we have to do as believers is we have to stop making jokes out of our idols, right? I've never heard so many jokes about binging Netflix as I have in 2020. And and at first I kind of laughed along. And then I was like, ooh, this is a lot. We're, We're joking about this thing. We're joking about giving hours of our life to entertainment and like losing days and months of our life because we just wanted to be distracted. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you another example, and I'm sorry for the ladies because this one hits a little close home to home for us, but we do this thing where we kind of joke and be cute about people-pleasing, like, oh, I'm just a people-pleaser. I'm just a perfectionist. You know me. But what we're saying is we're making light of our idols, saying, like, I worship, I worship the approval of others. I worship people thinking I'm great. I don't really care what they think about God. I want, they to, I want them to think I'm perfect. That's not cute, Right? That's not good for our souls, right? To walk into any relationship or any room or any community with the expectation that we have to make everybody else happy when God is the only one who can make people really content. And even then, Jesus was perfect and he still didn't make everybody happy. That's not a fun idol to play around with. That's not one we want to hold in our lives. So maybe you're asking yourself, like, maybe some of you are like, oh, I know some idols right now. She's saying it. It's heavy. This is hard. And I want to tell you there is good news because refreshment comes after repentance. And this is what we get to do by grace through faith. We get to come into the throne room of God and say, help me. God, I found this new idol. It just cropped up. Help me. 
I want to be free from it. And then we experience victory and healing and hope. And maybe we don't immediately feel free from it, but we get to keep going. This is good news. It's not heavy or hard. But maybe you might be saying like, I don't know what my idols are. How would I know? There are a few questions to ask. Number one, where does your enthusiasm go? What are you enthusiastic about? What gets you excited? What lights you up? I hear from people all the time, this probably isn't true here in Indiana, Pennsylvania, but I hear from people all the time in Charleston who say, like, I'm not really into God the way you're into God. Like, I don't, like, that's not what, like, I get so excited about. Like, I don't need to, like, raise my hands in worship. But I'm like, you sure enough raise your hands at, like, a Sephora sale. You know what I'm saying? I, I have seen some men raise some holy hands for a football team. Like, they're quite enthusiastic about that. You know what I'm saying? And so look where your enthusiasm goes. My husband also says, often he tells me, if we want to, if we want to find our idols, we can look at our wallets. Where does our money go? Where does our time go? Where does our attention go? Maybe even ask yourself this question. If you were going to say like, my life is great or my life will be great when I have Jesus plus blank. That could be an idol. My life will be full when I have Jesus plus Great wife, great family, 401k, respect of others. That sofa I've really been wanting. I'm going to be honest with you. This is, this is, this is a, a, a holy and honest moment because it's the 11 o'clock and I feel like we're friends. This is the third time I've preached this message in 24 hours. And so before getting up here, I had to deal with God and say, what are my idols? I had to confess um, beauty. As a woman living in 2021, that's still one. I had to confess control. I, I, I don't necessarily want to need God all the time. I had to confess again, over and over and over again, the, the desire for other people to see me as good instead of just wanting people to see God as good. This is what we get to do. Confess what the idols are and experience the refreshment that comes from repentance. This is what the people of God, the Israelites, got wrong from the second they entered the wilderness until the time they got out. They liked to worship idols. It was just easier. Sometimes they worshiped the idols of their forefathers, and we are often guilty of this too. If something worked for our parents or worked for our parents' parents, we dress it up and call it up and write it as a banner over our lives. And instead of noticing that it might be generational sin or that it might be wickedness that's been left in our culture, we say, like, well, my dad did it or my mom did it and it was good for her and it worked for them. And that might be an idol. Sometimes we worship the idols of our current culture. I'm not, I'm not saying TikTok's an idol, but I'm saying, woo, it sure could be. I've got some teenagers in the house. You know what I'm saying? It could be something totally new that we make up and just get fixated on. The Israelites got it wrong. Over and over and over again. May it not be so with us. I'm going to stay in Joshua 24 and look at a few more verses. As a reminder, this is after the Israelites have come out of the wilderness. This is after they've been brought into Canaan, into the promised land. Again, the verses we just read. Now then, said Joshua, throw away the foreign gods that are among you and yield your hearts to the Lord, the God of Israel. And the people said to Joshua, Joshua, we will serve the Lord our God and obey him. They didn't. Spoiler alert. On that day, Joshua made a covenant for the people. And there at Shechem, he drew up for them to 
decrees and laws. And Joshua recorded these things in the book of the law of of God. Then he took a large stone and he set it up there under the oak near the holy place of the Lord. See, he said to all the people, this stone will be a witness against us. It has heard all the words the Lord has said to us. It will be a witness against you if you are untrue to your God. A lot of times right now in 2021, I think about the way that the Israelites worshiped in the Old Testament. I think about the sacrifices and the stones and the altars. And when we read all these things, I, I, I am not only so incredibly thankful for the blood of Jesus and the power and the presence that it affords us, but I am thankful for Jesus because that means that we don't have to bring a lamb in here and do business with it. You know what I'm saying? Amen and amen. That must have been messy and wild. Right, come on. Amen. It's so good. But this is the thing. God gave his people all of these sacrifices and stones and rhythms because he knew their hearts were fickle and prone to wander. And he gave them reminders and sacrifices and celebrations and festivals because he knew that their minds were prone to forget him. He knew his people needed rhythms of worship. And so here's what I think we can learn from the Israelites. We've got to establish rhythms of worship as we leave the wilderness. We've got to establish rhythms and even maybe reestablish rhythms of worship as we leave the wilderness. A few years ago, my parents, my mom and my stepdad, renewed their wedding vows. They had their 25th wedding anniversary, and so they decided to renew their wedding vows. And they decided to do a vow renewal in their backyard, which is a beautiful little setting. Um, And I have a bunch of kids, and my sister has a bunch of kids. So they said, bring all the kids, and we'll all get dressed up. We'll have a photographer. We'll get a cake. We'll get a caterer, and we'll have this little family vow renewal. And so we were like, great. So fun. And we got out there in the middle of it. I'm crying. It's beautiful. They're just recommitting their love to each other. And I noticed that my parents had been building a wall, a stone wall around their garden. And I noticed that the wall was not finished. It was only about three-fourths as high as they had told me it was going to be. And I also noticed that off to the side was uh, a handful of stones that I assumed were going to finish the wall. And that's not very typical for my parents. They're kind of like go-getters get her done type of people. And so I was like, why didn't they finish the wall before the vow renewal? Interesting. So we're in the middle of the vow renewal. And my mom said, actually, we want to pause right now. And we have something we want to do together. We'd actually like to finish building this wall with you in the middle of the vow renewal. Now, some of y'all are thinking that sounds really sweet. I personally was in a sequin dress. So I didn't, wasn't excited about building the wall necessarily, but they called us over one at a time individually. And they said, um, you know, first it was my older sister. They said, Katie, we'd like you to carry this stone. And I could see where they were picking up the stones that something really like meaningful was happening. And they had a few of the kids come over and I realized that they had written different events in our life on the stones of things God had done. So one of my family members' marriages had fallen apart a few years ago, and then God had restored it, and and that was written on a stone. And that family member got to carry it. 
and, and build the wall with it. My daughter, Glory, had a seizure disorder and landed in the ICU for a while and couldn't walk or talk, and God really miraculously healed her, and that was written on a stone, and Glory got to go pick up that stone and carry it and build the wall with it. All these different stories, my, my, my parents ended up um, coming to our church to be members at Bright City a few years ago. That was written on one of the stones. They had my husband go carry that one. And they said, this is the deal. When we come in this backyard, we could be tempted to look at all these grandkids and look at our life and, and feel like we've just done a good job and that we're good, that we're good family and that we've done, we've built this good life for ourselves. And they said, we want to remember that it is only the faithfulness and goodness of God. It is only the restoration and renewal and the blood of Jesus that has brought us all here together. They said, we want to remember with this wall all the things that he's done for us. We want these stones to remind us of his grace, of his goodness, so we don't get tripped up and think that maybe this is about us and what we've done. And I was like, oh, mom, that was good. Even good enough to get dirty in my sequin dress. We need rhythms of worship. I told you guys that I, our church um, in Charleston, churches didn't start gathering until a little bit later, and so we couldn't be back in our building until October. And, and I'm telling you, in May, I'm walking around the building just crying. God, when will we worship again? God, I need people. I need Jesus. I need to be around people who need Jesus. I just wanted God. I just wanted to worship again. But here's the deal. Um, around August, I realized that a lot of people would go to the beach on Sunday. I, I live five miles from the beach. And I realized that that was really enjoyable. And I, I've been a church girl since I met Jesus. I have worked for a church since I was 18. And I realized that a lot of people like hang in their pajamas on Sunday mornings and eat pancakes. And that was enjoyable. And so around August, September, as I realized we were recording church and then we could kind of be at home on Sundays, I wasn't so desperate to be with the people of God anymore. I kind of lost my affection for it. And that's had me thinking, and it's been interesting since we've been back. I'll hear from people. I'll hear from people that will say, like, you know, like, we just kind of got a taste of, like, having our weekend to ourselves. Or, you know, uh, a lot of times people will tell me, I'll, I'll see them in the store, I'll see them out at the park, and they'll feel like they need to give me an account for where they were. And I want to tell you guys right now, in the name of Jesus, um, our church is smaller. There's only 150 of us. I don't notice when people aren't there. Um, I notice when one person isn't there, and that's Canon Murray Connolly, my eight-year-old. And the reason I notice why Canon Murray Connolly isn't there is because Canon has found the, the door to the roof of our, of our church, um, and uh, my kids are like pastor's kids, meaning like they're the kids you find on the roof. Um, one time during a prayer gathering, my 13-year-old set the church on fire. Not like some, he set the church on fire in the middle of a prayer gathering. We're like talking to God, praying to God. I'm looking out at the lobby and I'm like, uh, yeah, he just, yep, he just lit the church on fire. I'll be right back, guys. That's the kind of pastor's kids I've got. Just pray for me. Pray for me. As you guys pray for Bright City, just pray for me. Um, pray for Canon. I, in between services, truly. I'm worshiping with you guys, enjoying God, getting ready to worship with the 11 o'clock. But you better believe I went and texted, does somebody have Canon? 
Is he at church today? Did he make it? Is he on the roof? That's who I'm thinking about. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not noticing if Megan or Bill or Tom was there. I'm not taking attendance. But here's the thing. When I'll meet with people and they'll say like, you know, I mean, number one in the pandemic, we really noticed that the beach is nice on Sunday too. I'm like, I feel you. I hear you. But also they'll say like, I, we just had a busy week and we just needed a little time to ourselves. And here's the only thing I want to tell you about that is that I do believe that the enemy of our souls has convinced us that this worship, this thing is something that God wants from us, that it's something he wants to take from us, that it's something we have to give to him. And instead he's like, I want to give you my presence. I want to give you the peace and the renewal and the freedom and the healing that you're going to experience when you get in a bunch of in a room with a bunch of people who need God together. I want to give you the renewal of your mind that happens when you get into the word. He's not like, where is Sandy? Is she here today? Goodness gracious. That's not how he rolls. He just wants to meet with his kids. He just wants to enjoy you and he wants you to enjoy him. And so nothing makes me more sad than when someone's like, we just had a busy week. And I realized that they have believed that this is not the best place to be on a busy week. We need worship. It's what is the best thing for our hearts. A few weeks ago, my husband actually ended up having some heart issues, and he's the healthiest guy you've ever met. It's, it's the strangest thing, but he ended up having some heart issues, and he landed in the hospital. And because of the pandemic, I couldn't be with him, which was a real situation. I am not the kind of person that you want to keep from my husband, and especially not when he's not feeling good. Um, I did. This is a true story. I didn't tell any of the other services this. I did actually sneak into the hospital while he was in there. I made it past all the desks. Nobody stopped me. I made it all the way into his room. You know who made me leave? Him, because he's a rule follower. He was like, get out of here. You're not supposed to be in here. I was like, I'll be wherever my baby is, okay? I'm gonna be wherever you are. And he was like, get out of here. You're not allowed in the hospital. And I was like, I'm, I will take up whatever space God asked me to do. I did. I snuck into the hospital to be with him and he made me leave. <laughs> That's a true story. So he made me leave. I couldn't be with him. So I'm like, where am I going to be? My man's having heart issues. Like, what am I supposed to do? It happened to be a Sunday morning. So I'll tell you where I went. I went to be with the people of God. I went to be in a room with other people who would pray for me, who would fight with me for him. And I'll tell you what, they went to town praying for me. They went to town praying for him. The beach could not have done that for me. Pancakes were not going to cut it. You know what I'm saying? I needed a faith-fueled people who trusted in God when days were dark. We need rhythms of worship as we come out of the wilderness. We need rhythms of worship as we come out of the wilderness. I want to read to you from some verses in Psalm 145. It says, One generation commends your work to another. They tell of your mighty acts. They speak of the glorious splendor of your majesty. I will meditate on your wonderful works. They tell me of the power of your awesome works, and I will proclaim your great deeds. I think as we talk about worship, as we talk about worshiping our way out of the wilderness, a really personal question we have to ask is not just about our rhythms of corporate worship, but our rhythms of personal 
testifying. And I think it's a great point in our lives collectively to pause and ask, what story are we telling about the last two years? What song are we singing? One day, when the generations ask about 2020 and 2021, what do we want to tell them? Do we want to tell them that we saw God's faithfulness or do we want to tell them about the shows we binged on Netflix? Do we want to tell them about the new sofas that we purchased or do we want to tell them about how God met us on the worst and the hardest days? What song do we want to sing? What story do we want to tell? That starts with our individual voices worshiping and saying true things about God and about what he is doing in our midst. Lastly, as we look at the story of the Israelites, where they struggled is this crazy cycle of needing God, getting in a pit, being in the wilderness, needing God. God would rescue them. God would give them what they needed. He would restore them. He would establish them. He would set them up. They'd be a little bit blessed. Then they'd get a little prideful about it and think it was something good that they had done. They would start sinning and then they'd get in a pit again. They'd need God again. This was the cycle they continually went through. The problem was is that after they needed God, they didn't continue continually recognize their dependence on him. And so as we worship our way out of the wilderness, I believe we've got to acknowledge and delight in our dependence on God. We've got to acknowledge and delight in our dependence on God. Israel never did well with blessing. When they were blessed, when God took care of them, they thought they had done it. And they just said like, yes, we're very good. We're very good independent people. We're, we're very strong. We're very resilient. Instead of acknowledging where he had taken them to. So how do we fight that? How do we fight that as humans? How do we break this cycle? I think number one is we worship. We get in this room together. We really worship. Like we don't treat this like our recital. We don't treat it like we're here performing. But we get after God and ask for revival. We acknowledge our idols continually. We hold up our hands. We don't pretend like we've got it all together. We don't assume that we'll graduate from the gospel. But we believe that every day that we're alive that we'll need God. We come forward when they ask us what we can pray. We just tell them. We just pray for me about this. I noticed this new idol. I actually don't know what my idols are, which means I probably am pretty in deep. Will you, will you pray with me? They, when we stay in community, when we stay in worship, we further experience this dependence on him. But I'll tell you one other thing that God has shown me this week. I've been thinking about it a lot. And I've been thinking about days where I don't really know that I'm dependent on God. I've been thinking about days where I'm kind of okay and where I can kind of get by on my own. And I, I have like two of those days a year, um, maybe one. And, and on those days, what happens is I wake up and I get dressed and maybe I exercise and I make everybody breakfast and I take everybody to school and I go to work and I handle my business and I cross off my to-do list and I, I don't make dinner because my husband cooks, but I eat dinner that he cooked and I bless him for it. Thank you, God, because he's better at the cooking than me. And then I put the kids to bed and maybe we read a little and talk and then I go to bed and I can get through that whole day and think like, I'm good. I don't really need God. Like I, I'm, I'm grateful he's there because he's given me these good things, but like I'm not desperate or anything. I mean, I'm not crying, you know. Again, that's only one day a year. Um, here's what shakes that up for me. Anytime I have to love somebody else, 
outside of my immediate people. When I have to acknowledge that my actual neighbors, the people living in my city, don't experience the same blessings that I do, when I have to acknowledge that, that actual people are hurting and I have, to, I have to live out my image of God and be compassionate for them, and, and even when that compassion has to turn to action and I have to serve them or I'm called to serve them or I get to serve them, that's when I feel really desperate for God, right? Because I'm like, oh, hon, and I had enough energy to just do me. I, I could handle just the Connollys. But when I'm supposed to be a light bearer and an image carrier to the world and I'm supposed to be the hands and feet of Jesus, then I really need God because I need his spirit to empower me and I need his strength to give me what I need to actually love people well. And so maybe the question is, if we're not continually acknowledging our dependence on God, maybe it's because we're not using what we've got for others. Maybe we're not really taking our place to shine the light of Jesus. And, and, and honestly, the good news is that when we do then, when we do acknowledge that we've got other things that we could serve and love and use our voices and use our hands and use our money to serve them, then we'll get to experience our dependence on God. Then we'll get to worship. Then we'll be filled up with him. He doesn't want to take from us. Here's the good news, lowercase g news, good news. Um, I took self-paced astronomy again. I took that second semester and I got an A because you know what I did? I went in the first five days of the semester and I sat down at the computer and I took all the tests until I had all 50 done and I passed it with an A, just really just flying colors and never went back again. And then I only had to take a few other classes for the rest of the semester. And what I'm telling you is that the big capital G good news is that people change. We get to learn from the Israelites. We get to be people that say, I don't want to get into that rhythm anymore of needing God, not needing God, being desperate. We get to acknowledge our idols. We get to establish new rhythms of worship. We get to decide that we want to stay dependent on God. We get to say 2020 might be over, but you better believe we're going to pray like it never did, right? We get to say, you know what? It's a little bit better in our city, but it's not better in other cities. So we're going to fight for them. And we're going to say that they're image bearers of God. And if they're in pain, we're going we're gonna to be on their team too. We get to change. We get to worship. We get to have our minds renewed by the word today. I'm going to pray with you. Father, thank you for changing our hearts. Thank you for changing our minds. Thank you for enabling us by the power of Jesus to be people who worship, who enter into your throne room boldly by grace through faith. We don't want to go back to complacent consumeristic church. We want to stay desperate, rowdy, wild worshipers on the edge of our seat. We want to acknowledge how much we need you. And we want to not just acknowledge it, but we want to be grateful that we get to need you. We want to hold up our idols and believe that you have the power to demolish them. We want to experience renewal. Would you help us? Would you change our minds today? In the name of Jesus, amen.